The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose. My name is Claire Morigande. I am a scientist by training, a TEDx speaker and your host on this show. This podcast is dedicated to amplifying social impact by bringing you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people who are making extraordinary social impact within their communities and around the world. So if you're looking for a program that showcases unique stories of change makers, stories of people who are contributing to make a difference in society, and at the same time you want to be inspired to take action, then look no further. You are in the right place. Get comfortable and listen in to my conversations. We are gearing towards the end of season three, and this month we will discuss technology for impact. In the first episode of July, my guest is Rihanna Spring. Rihanna is an international human rights expert. She is the executive director and founder of Spring Act or Spring ACT, and ACT stands for Action Compassion Technology. In this conversation, Rihanna shares the work she is carrying out with her team in connecting human rights and artificial intelligence to empower individuals in vulnerable situations through practical tools. Please take a moment to give us a rating and to review our show on your favorite podcast app. This will help other listeners find our podcast and further amplify the stories we are sharing on the Narratives of Purpose. For now, listen to Rihanna's entrepreneurial endeavors to help the most vulnerable using modern technology. Hi, Rihanna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Claire. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. I'm actually really, really thrilled to have you on the show today because I have seen that there's so many exciting things going on with your company recently with Spring Act. And I'm really looking forward, first of all, to share your journey and everything that you're doing with our listeners and uh, to learn more about, you know, where you're headed. But before we go into that, first things first, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Who is Rihanna? I'm Rihanna Spring. I'm an international human rights expert and founder and executive director of Spring Act, which stands for Action Compassion Technology. Before founding Spring Act, I was, as I said, um, in human rights. I was working pretty much across the whole globe with uh, defending human rights of the most vulnerable people in courts of Argentina, with the UN in East and West Africa, volunteering all across the African continent as well, and in the Philippines with the foreign ministry. So you are based in Switzerland, and if I'm not mistaken, in Bern, right? And that's where you founded your your organization, your company, basically. So first question, really, how did that all start? Obviously, you have your background in human rights and the overall you know, mission, if I could put it in one sentence, of Spring Act is to empower human rights and empower people to act through technology. So where does the whole idea come from? Yes, exactly. So our mission is to connect human rights and technology. And our vision is to empower people through innovative technologies to, to take action and help eliminate global social injustices. 
it all started actually when I was based with the UN OHCHR in Dakar in Senegal, West Africa. I was working uh, in general for, for human rights and I had five refugees come to my office asking for help and they'd come to my predecessor, their predecessor, their predecessor for five years. They'd been looking for help for their specific situations and nothing had been done. Uh, the organization I was working for, OHCHR, it wasn't our mandate. Uh, we also didn't have the money, the budget to, to help, but I was so frustrated that nothing had been done. They were very specific in what they needed. Uh, one example was an Ivorian refugee who had fled multiple wars. He'd fled the war in the Ivory Coast, then he went to the Gambia. He then became a leader of the refugees in Gambia and then was imprisoned and tortured in Gambia, then fled to Mali where it wasn't safe and then came to Senegal. So this whole trauma that had happened and he was just there and he, the only thing he wanted was to put his kid, Emanuela, into school. And because of this whole refugee status, she was too old for the level of the class that she should have been in. And I just arrived in the country. I didn't know what to do. I don't have kids myself. So I, I was just, what, what do I do? Basically, was was overwhelmed. Like it's it's okay to be overwhelmed with when and when you're faced with these injustices. Um, and I then by chance, I went to lunch with somebody from the Swiss embassy at the time. And I just mentioned, mentioned this case. And she knew the country really well. And so within a weekend, she'd found three solutions for Emanuela. And within the month, she was in school. Something that five years, multiple organizations, people, it wasn't, they didn't manage to do. And this is not because my friend and I are some kind of superwomen. Well, of course we are. Um, but just, you know, by chance, this person came to see me. By chance, I mentioned it to this person over, over lunch, you know, and by chance, she knew what to do. And that's where the whole idea kind of started is to replace my friend and I with a technology that connect people in vulnerable situations to the organizations most likely to help them. Because I truly believe we have all the resources in the world, uh, financial and information to help every single person. We just need to connect them uh, because the in this case, uh, the refugee knew exactly what he needed. And there were organizations that were there to help exactly that case. But we, I mean, all of us are overwhelmed with the information out there at the moment. And we just need kind of guidance to see where, where to look, what to look for and, and where to look. So that's, uh, that's when it started. And it was, it's a long process. It was very, you know, kind of very slow. And actually at the beginning, it was, I was going to do like kiosks where you could go and look for help. And then I, it was like a website, then it was an app. Um, and that was, I was developing. Then I came, my mission ended, I extended, I tried to stay as long as I could, then came back to Switzerland and uh, the pandemic hit. And we, with friends, we were sitting around like we have to do something. Domestic violence is rising so drastically uh, that we just really felt we needed to do something. And so we took the technology that I had, had been developing and rather than just um, people in vulnerable situations as a whole to hone it into survivors of domestic violence, guiding them to the support services and shelters that they need and providing them a tool, which we call the digital safe to help them gather potential evidence. And, and then that's, and then from there, it, it just, yeah, <laughs> took off. Yeah. So basically, if I'm understanding that correctly, what you had developed um, locally when you were still in, in Dakar in Senegal, is that still alive, so to speak? Or are you now, did you shift to something else where you're focusing on domestic violence? Because you just explained that it started, you know, more locally. And then from Switzerland, you focused more on domestic violence. Thank you. That's, 
yeah, people don't ask that. They always focus on Sophia, the, the chatbot, which, you know, fair enough, because uh, it is the world's first chatbot for survivors of domestic violence. I love it because people never ask me that question. And it's, yes, it absolutely is. Um, not live yet, but we're launching that this year. So we were, um, again, just, again, connecting. It's just everywhere where you look. Um, we had put that on on pause uh, because, yeah, there was enough to do <laughs> with one project. But then we were contacted by this organization called Women Plus Plus, based in Zurich, uh, that are, their mission is to bring diversity into tech. And they designed this hands-on software development program that would uh, specif- specifically designed for women, but any any gender was was welcome. That would then uh, develop one of our projects for us within six weeks with three different teams. Uh, and so that's what they did. It's called Dots, and they did, we have now three different uh, prototypes. Each one of them absolutely wonderful we have just we're just onboarding uh, the people that we need to merge these three prototypes together and then launch uh, launch in Senegal in uh, towards autumn this year no oh, sounds amazing so so basically you have the dots and uh, you alluded to Sophia the chatbot and that's Actually, also where we met because a, a mutual friend of ours <laughs> introduced us, and that was the day you were launching the Sophia um, chatbot. So, tell me about this chatbot. What is it exactly? So, yeah, like I said, Sophia is the world's first chatbot for survivors of domestic violence, helping them gather potential evidence, assess their rights, and learn about their options. So, it's they she functions functions in the principle of GAL: gather potential evidence, assess your rights, and learn learn your options. And we launched in Zurich exactly in December, 9th of December, 2021. And since then, actually, 4,000 over 4,000 people have, have chatted to Sophia. And we are now in actually right now we're in Peru launching launching her here as as the next step. And what Sophia does is she's a chatbot, which is an automate. It's um, a robot that is designed to have a conversation with a human. She is pre-programmed and the answers are pre-programmed so that she can't misunderstand anyone in this very delicate situation. At the moment, she's available on Telegram and Viber. WhatsApp and Signal are to come. You go in, for example, Telegram, you search for, as if you'd search for me, you don't need to save any number or anything, you just as if you'd search for Rihanna, you search for Sophia Chatbot, and she's there. And you can start chatting to her at the moment in English, French, German, um, and Spanish. So you can either chat to her about what are the signs of domestic abuse, which uh, gives you examples of the different types of domestic abuse and the different warning signals for that. She can help you learn what you need to know if you want to leave because leaving is a very dangerous situation and she really guides you what you need to take what you need to consider um etc and then the way she's designed is that um oh yeah and then the digital safe like I, i mentioned before you can create a digital safe where you um, can upload potential evidence, photos, uh, recordings, documents, uh, reports from the police, reports from the doctor, anything, basically journal, you can upload and it's saved on servers in Switzerland, completely encrypted. So not, like we can't access, nobody can access them but you. And they're there until you yourself decide to take action. That's just, it's just there and, and, and you, you decide what to do next. So these options are available globally. In Suniso, at the moment, Sophia is available in 222 countries where you type in, she asks you where you are. And if you type anything but Switzerland, she gives you one national organization where you are right now that you can contact. Then the 
because we launched in Switzerland, the first localized information is Switzerland. So you type in Switzerland, she asks you which canton you're in, which state, uh, you say, for example, Bonn, and then she gives you localized information. Where's the nearest shelter to you? Where are the nearest support services? Where can you find legal aid where you are? And what are your local rights? as a survivor, but also as a person, you know, it, can I get a divorce? What do I need? How can I get, what about custody for my children? All these things, she runs you through your different options. Uh, our goal is now to localize the information country by country. So at the moment, for example, if you type Peru, you'll just get one national organization, but the aim is to then have really these, depending on where you are in the country, that's the nearest, nearest support that you can find. So you launched in December in Switzerland, and now you're launching a new country in Peru. What are your plans for 2022 in terms of countries and reach that you want to achieve? We have a whole annual plan. We have everything, but it's just the way startups, I think, generally are. You know, we just go where the wind takes us. Peru was not on the books, but then we hired the most amazing head of operations who's from Peru. She's so passionate about bringing Sofia to Peru that she already, within her first week, found five partners <laughs> and potential funding for Peru. And that's, and that's how we came here. So we will only go to a country where we have a local partnership. It's out of the question anything else because there's local customs and laws and culture that we cannot know from abroad. Uh, so that's the number one criteria is, is uh, local, local partnership and potential funding because we are we are a well a startup, we're a nonprofit, and that's a huge, huge issue. Uh, it's a very frustrating issue. Uh, I get asked like how much how much budget do we need? I'm like, literally, if Melinda Gates French would call me uh, and like give me, here's, here's a billion or, you know, here's millions. I'm like, we could literally launch to every single country in the world within the year if, if we had the budget to do so. Uh, so that's kind of our criteria um, to launch uh, together with obviously the index of, um, of domestic violence and where is kind of the urgent need, need to go. Yeah, so Peru and now this is this month and then we'll launch in senegal in autumn again you know uh, dots uh, that is senegal and we uh, will organize um the launch of sophia there as well also because the whole project was founded there but also my uh, deputy director and right-hand woman is is uh, senegalese and lives in senegal and again very passionate to bring sophia to senegal and and that's why we're, we're going there apart from that we will have different events so, for example, doing a big fundraising campaign starting in on the 5th of May called the 555 campaign, where you run five kilometers, you uh, donate five francs or dollars or uh, soles or whatever, and you nominate five people to do the same. Uh, again, our, fund, uh, our goal really, again, for 2022 is, is just it's the funding. It's we just really need to, to get it up and to drive membership memberships up to help us help us sustain and scale Sophia. So if any anybody among the listeners are founders or investors or know people who'd be interested, you know, <laughs> you're open for business, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes. Yes. You can like, you don't even need to know someone. You just need to, you can go on a website. <laughs> just, like, just becoming a member is a massive help for us. It's, it's um, for those outside of Switzerland, uh, we're an association uh, legally and you become a member and you pay an annual fee of anything, you know, a low income, 45 francs, normal income, 95 and up to patron level or superstar level 250 or 500 francs and it's an annual donation and that that is huge for us <laughs> yeah so coming back to your entrepreneurial journey i imagine there's a lot of challenges along the way <laughs> there continues to be challenges and so on can you tell us about that honestly like funding is the 
biggest issue uh, we have because uh, we're so passionate about getting this technology out there that it's very hard. And I suppose, on, but honestly, that was the biggest challenge because I was so focused on providing the solution that I'm like, oh yeah, funding will come. You know, they'll see our amazing project uh, prototype and then they'll fund us. And then we thought we would get this funding and we didn't. And that was kind of that was a little collapse um, for for a day, collapse of the world. And then we got up back up and started fighting. But I'd also say. Dealing with the passion paradox is kind of, you're so passionate, you just want to work nonstop, uh, but you need to like find some kind of, well, balance. There's a book called The Passion Paradox, and they say don't even bother about balance. Like if you're following your passion, balance is kind of (laughs) not really something you can find. Uh, So to kind of just, yeah, see that I can spread out my energy as much as I can and to go forward Um, and kind kind of related to that as well is with, you know, dealing with my own energy and, and the project and, and the company or organization is trusting my own gut, um, despite many, many doubt, doubts from myself, but also from people around me. So yeah, it's when I started with, especially with dots, because it's really something that was in Senegal, it's very far away and uh, people are like, well, I don't really see, I don't really see the point of this and and why. And it's really, you know, oh my God, you want to start a company that's really, really tiring. And can you do that? really Mel, these are friends, you know, they're really, really well-intentioned people. Are you really sure? And I'm really worried. Um, so to just trust your gut and go like, no, yes, this is, this is, this is the way forward. I think that's, that was an interesting lesson to learn. <laughs> and if we go a bit more into the, the specifics, I mean, uh, obviously you have a diverse team because you have developers and so on, and you have to cover different aspects of, of the solutions that you're creating. And one in particular I'm really curious about is technology. Dots is an app and the other one is a chatbot. And these are sensitive matters if you will, right? How do you ensure that everything is safe? You mentioned earlier that, you know, everything is encrypted uh, for the chatbot and it's in service in Switzerland. It's always difficult, I understand, you know, because of everything is digital nowadays and you never know where your data is going. So how do you cover that? Excellent question. I'm really glad you asked that because, I mean, me being a human rights um, expert by trade, like there's no way ever that I would trade data for anything because in my personal life as well I'm I'm one of those people that go cookies no 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 um it's really in my personal life online privacy is very important so that also translates into our strategies we've put a lot of well a a lot of research a lot of discussions and a lot of strategies in place to guarantee this so for example our servers are in Switzerland and they're with Microsoft so the banks in Switzerland who who care most about privacy are with Microsoft and they have servers in Switzerland. So we're very sure that we we use those kind of services that they're here. So they're also protected by the data rights and laws in Switzerland. So specifically picked a country where we have the highest standards that we have to follow. So that's one thing. And then the other thing, especially with the digital safe, um, of course, the, the most sensitive data you could possibly ask for. Um, so we have an amazing tech team that works on it. We have uh, privacy and security engineers working alongside us in in our tech team um, internal, but also as volunteers and consultants coming on board. So we, uh, it's actually a wonderful story that I was reading. I was reading a book about coders to kind of, you know, understand the team better and everything. And it was, they, the author talked about a privacy hacker. Oh, and he was, he was creating a tool called effective.af that is 
like they're supposed to organize, help organize activists and their activism. Like, oh, this sounds really cool. So I reached out to him and he's now on our team volunteering with all his, like he's privacy hacker. This is what he does to make sure that we're really, really safe. Uh, he's put in place together with the privacy engineer and the engineer my team who are fantastic really, really intelligent, fantastic people as well. Um, they created this whole system that really, when when tech people look at it, they're like, oh, I didn't even know this existed. I can't, honestly can't stress enough how important this is to me personally even. Um, so that, and then we have another, um, just recently came on board, another cryptographer and um, security expert who has worked for domestic violence organizations even and has thrown so many questions like, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? This is a solution. This is a solution really. Yeah. And then constantly review it. Speaking about impact, I mean, obviously you're still at the beginning. You previously said that uh, 4,000 people, if I'm not mistaken, have already used this chatbot. Do you know how that has impacted their lives? Or what was the real you know, change there or influence? Do you have an idea? Is this something you can share about or, or not? Uh, it is something every, every media outlet asks me. And I'm like, the whole, point, the whole point is that it's anonymous. And that's really important. So, Sophia, the main aim is to lower the threshold. So, Sophia is not... It's not supposed to replace anyone. It's really the it's the like a supplementary support to the support systems already available, and the aim is really to lower the threshold to through this anonymous like being anonymous and twenty four seven available to really like bring the people to a human being to talk to them and hopefully get them out. Um, so we have very little data at the moment. Uh, we we do have it. We're onboarding a data science team that will take the anonymized data. Um, like again, like we have no idea who, where, what, but at least you know what time maybe people are chatting that we can like help in that sense. We just know at the moment how many people, and that's over four thousand. But what has happened, what the impact that has happened since we've launched, or since we've become a bit known, actually even before we launched, that survivors have reached out to us saying. What can I do to help? I wish Sophia had existed when I was in an abusive relationship. I would have left. I think I would have left way earlier. But so far, women are—I mean—they're fierce people um, and just and so positive. You know, the heart and the most horrendous thing has happened to them, and their drive and their positivity and outlook on life is in- incredible. And they've now become part of our team and are helping us improve improve Sophia. And coming back to visibility, right? You mentioned that uh, you know. Survivors have reached out to you, but I've also noticed you have received quite some distinctions recently, <laughs> and one of them is the um, from the president of Switzerland himself, Ignacio Cassis, and we recognize Spring ACT as um, Swiss Future Prize. I think you won that prize, right? Yes, we did. <laughs> so having more attention on what you're doing, is that supporting you a lot, or is it also more work for you to be more out there and talk about what you're doing and advocate? How does that feel? Finally being recognized like this is, I, I can't put, I honestly cannot put into words. Um, and the president himself handing us the prize, uh, the head of the SCC, the uh, Department for International Cooperation of the Foreign Ministry, a woman I look up to incredibly. She's so fierce and intelligent and just a go-getter. And here we are, like, she's on my left and the president is on my right and we're taking, and everyone's smiling and beaming. And it's, that was quite an amazing moment, uh, getting the prize from the president. And then the room, like the tables turned because otherwise it's always us going like, hi, this is our project, please, you know, can we have a meeting? Da, da, da. And then 
they flocked to us then you know an ambassador like here's my card i'm expert in scaling come and see me hi here i'm from the un like i'm the inter like interagency coordination let's see what we can do and like on our stand during the forum this was part of a, the international corporation forum other ambassadors would come and like tell me about your project and were proud you know telling me proud about their technological advancements in their own teams and departments and it was very surreal um because especially that period um because march was insane with everything that we'd done in march um also my deputy director she lives in senegal and um for multiple reasons, she then, within a week, packed her stuff, came to Switzerland. We went straight to a hackathon in St. Gallen to uh, to to kind of kickstart a new a one a, a new project for thirty six hours with three hundred over three hundred participants, nine hacker teams. Like you know, we were in our little booth at three o'clock in the morning, like people coming to like this is what we were thinking of inter interpreting your challenge this way and this way, like sleeping in a corner in our sleeping bag. So this is literally right from Senegal, then getting a train, going all the way to Geneva uh, and going and presenting Sophia at her stand and then, and then the prize. And then, you know, <laughs> three days later, we, we came to Peru um, because multiple reasons. Uh, one thing, as a founder, holiday is very hard <laughs> to get. So I'm like, I need a holiday. Why don't we just move our headquarters here? Uh, because we don't work together physically anyway, uh, being in Zurich, Bern and, and Dhaka. And so we're working here and then going on holiday. <laughs> yeah. So surreal. Um, it took a while to sink in that, that it happened. I mean, obviously everything is in the beginning and you're really also having this amazing momentum and, you know, surfing the wave, right? But to this point, can you say that you already have a certain, like, a learning of all this process and what are you keeping with you to, to continue moving forward? Well, uh, honestly, we learn every day. Every day there's something I, I learn. And I personally, I love that. I'm a very curious person and, and so is my team. And we're always like watching masterclasses, webinars, books we're reading to, to, to continuously learn. I would say um, one of the key things is I knew beforehand, but putting it into practice was, was an amazing experience, is diversity. So having studied human rights, worked in human rights, I knew diversity is absolute key. But then being in the position um, as the director to, you know, really prioritize diversity was really interesting for multiple reasons. One is that you you read about it, but it's so true. You have to put a lot of effort, a focus into diversity. You can't go like we are a diverse, diverse organization. You have to put into place certain strategies. So, for example, we wanted to find an engineer, like the engineering position be open to all genders. So even though we needed an uh, engineer 100%, we said 40 to 100 because many, especially in Switzerland, many mothers don't return full-time to the workforce. So if we say 100%, that just excludes all mothers um, in Switzerland because they can't do that. Flexible working hours, women are encouraged to apply, um, non-binary people are encouraged to uh, apply. All these like little words they have to do, then really put it in different places where you advertise, but now also my team through a value-based organization and we have the same values. And with that foundation, it does any kind of nothing else matters because with the different ways of thinking, the different backgrounds that everything, because we have the solid, like the same, we start from the same values. It's, it, we just, yeah, I mean, we just break barriers like every day, basically. <laughs> and that's really, that's what I would like to, really like to tell everyone 
people know-ish, but they don't put it into action. I wish they would more. It's really uh, diversity. Read all the studies. Diversity is good for every aspect of your organization, including revenue. Like, like you, revenue goes up if your di- your board and your team is more diverse. Like, if you don't want to believe me on a human rights perspective, moral perspective, look at the numbers. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I have to say, you're, you're just confirming also what I've the discussions I've had on the podcast with other guests, <laughs> again, talking about diversity and inclusion. And the message is always the same, right? You can only win from diversity. So I previously asked, you know, what were your plans for 2022? But um, now looking more into the long term, right? You're, you're working at the intersection, if I could say, of human rights and technology. Obviously, technology is taking a lot of space in our lives, uh, especially since the pandemic and everything is going digital, wherever we are based on this planet. How do you see this moving forward, say, in, in the near future? Like, you know, let's not go further than five years, specifically in your um, area of expertise. You're speaking of human rights and technology. How do you see this evolving? I hope five years. Um, I think it's evolving fast. And then I look, because I look at my surrounding, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what this is going. And then I look around and like, oh, it's still very slow. Um, I, I think we're definitely going towards um, digitalization of also human rights. Uh, the potential of technology in this field is limitless. Um, and I'm surprised. It's great for us that we're considered very innovative. Great for us. I'm surprised. We're 2022. It shouldn't be innovative to use a chatbot to fight injustices. It shouldn't be. Um, so, you know, we see all the, every company nowadays has a chatbot on their website, but NGOs, which are constantly understaffed, underfunded, like, it's a huge issue of the sector, really uh they, they're getting there they really are i see more and more ngos actually having digital people in like tech like dedicated to digitalization in their in their organization so we're getting we're getting there i wish i could make it a bit faster uh, because just the potential for technology to fight global social injustices is it's amazing you can reach millions of people by sitting at a desk in switzerland you know or in in dakar you know it's just uh you can get all the expertise so Sophia has the expertise of all like so many domestic violence experts human rights experts but not only so one one wonderful thing about organization is we're volun- like a lot of we have a lot of volunteers that help us which Sophia wouldn't have been launched without them so we have 80 volunteers from across the like across the globe um including from the high seas like a navy officer like joy he illustrates for us from from his navy boat <laughs> um but also like That's why I'm saying this. We have, you know, expertise from domestic violence organizations, experts from doctors and psychologists, uh, from lawyers, IT people, but also a international pianist, a Navy officer. So you have really, you know, reflects all the different aspects of, of humanity that bring in to make Sophia the best she can. And then she's available anywhere, like in rural, like rural Zurich, somewhere in a little farmhouse or like, you know, bustling Addis Ababa, like everywhere she's there and you get the knowledge of this. Yeah. Of all these people accumulated. And it's, yeah, we, we're facing unprecedented challenges as humans. And I just think we need an unprecedented solution. And for me personally, I think that really is technology. <laughs> I really love the idea of this, you know, using the collective knowledge and making it available to everyone everywhere all the time, right? And I love that concept. And it's true that, as you say, technology is enabling that and also the interconnections. I mean, 
just for me, I mean, it's a very simple example, but even with my show, with the podcast, you know, if I didn't have Zoom, I probably don't have, you know, half of my guests could have not been on the show. <laughs> exactly. But it, but it needed the pandemic for us to realize that, right? Zoom always, like this kind of thing always existed, but we didn't realize that we could we could actually use that the way we do now. And the, the, uh, the prize that we won, we won actually in the category Think Global, Act Local. So that's exactly, you know, exactly that to combine the global resources and the local knowledge. So bright future ahead, as long as, you know, we tap into everybody's potential and have diverse teams. <laughs> yes, exactly. Recognizing every, every person's leadership, I think is, is also like a key, a key thing that I've learned is that every, every person, doesn't matter what rank you have, what title you have, how old you are, everyone can be a leader in their everyday actions. And, and that's something that I was so excited to actually implement in my organization. Um, just like we have 19, 20 year olds that bring fantastic ideas to like management procedures. So to bring like the experience with the young and foster that energy and that drive and the innovation that, you know, the younger generation has with the experience and the knowledge of people that are older, it's a really brings the best results. <laughs> Now towards the end of you know each conversation I have on the podcast, I always go through my my quick three questions where I try to get a bit of an insight into you know what type of you know music listener you are or what books do you read and if you have any recommendation for our listeners. Uh, the first one is, do you have something at the moment that you're listening on repeat, so to speak, music wise, or the book that you're reading at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, yes, I do have a playlist that I've created on. <laughs> that I listen to uh, repeat it's uh, well it's an afrobeats I love afrobeats and especially yami alade that I just repeat repeat and the second question is do you have um music or a book that was really special for you at a specific time in your life and why uh yes I would say this is day one from Drew Dudley he's now an advisor uh, I'm I'm completely inspired he is a renowned um, leadership expert and he came to speak at my university and that's when, and honestly that changed my life and he's read, now wrote, written a book about it. And so that really it changed my life because it's exactly this, what I was referring to before, everyday leadership. He teaches that every single person is a leader. You define your values, like what are your five core values, which is harder than you think it is, then create a question per value that you want to answer every day. So my, for example, um, impact, I want to have impact. What have I done each day that has created impact? And it can be as small as making the cashier smile in, in, in the, in the supermarket, you know, you don't know one of yeah, what I, one of my favorite quotes is a smile can't, won't change the world, but it can change someone's world. And that if you change someone's world, they might you know, the ripple effect of changing worlds. Um, and so really I incorporate that myself um, and now in the team as well. And it's, 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 yeah, it's amazing. He comes to companies to talk about, to give a leadership workshop and we're partnering with him that if a company in Switzerland or anywhere uh, pays his fee, uh, he donates his fee to us. He comes and gives that workshop kind of for free and you can like deduct it from your, from your company's taxes. And it's uh, honestly, I wish every single person would, would listen, uh, listen to his teachings. It's incredible. <laughs> and my third and last question is, do you have any all time favorite, you know, whatever it is, music or books that you would recommend to our listeners? I'll go with a human algorithm to kind of fit into our discussion as well. A human algorithm by Flynn Coleman, the importance of bringing human rights into, 
into the techno- technological world to, in, in, to ensure inclusive inclusive society. But yeah, it's so important. Uh, so I'd go with, with her book, Flynn Coleman, A Human Algorithm. Rihanna, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Uh, I am just eager to to follow what Spring Act is doing and where you're going, and and you know uh, also encourage our listeners to support you wherever they can. So before I let you go, do you have one last thing you'd like to share with us? What's what's the key takeaway from our conversation? Just your positive energy, honestly. Thank you so much um, for inviting me on this podcast. It's it's been amazing. Um, Well, the key, I suppose the key takeaway is honestly, anyone who's listening um, uh, and is suffering from abuse, I, I want you to know that we're here for you and we're doing everything we can to bring help to you as soon as as soon as we can. So to not, not lose hope, we're here. Thank you. Very beautiful message. Thank you so much, Rihanna, for taking the time. Thank you, Claire. I have to admit... I am absolutely in awe and blown away by what Spring Act has accomplished and what they are developing. From the world's first chatbot empowering survivors of domestic violence to an alternative legal aid app with the unique goal of empowering individuals in vulnerable situations. If you wish to support Rihanna and her team, head over to her organization's website at springact.org that is spelled S-P-R-I-N-G-A-C-T dot org. You will also find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate you taking the time. That was episode number 37, a conversation with Ariana Spring. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like our show, remember to tell your friends about it and share within your network. You can also connect with us through our social handles. We are on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, or our website at narratives-of-purpose.podcastpage.io. Until the next episode, take good care of yourselves, stay well, and stay inspired. This podcast was produced by Tom at Rustic Studios.